You've heard, no doubt, if you are a sports fan or perhaps in politics or business or some circumstance, you've heard some comparison to some circumstance being a David and Goliath comparison. And a David and Goliath comparison is usually used to depict one who is small and weak and unlikely who suddenly is able to defeat someone who is big and strong and insurmountable. And so uh, we often see those David and Goliath comparisons. Well, in the real story of David and Goliath, we see the story not only of the unlikely defeating the insurmountable, we see the, the hand of God and we see ultimately a testimony for God. That's what the story is really all about. And the great message of the story of David and Goliath is the message that you and I can be like David. We can trust God to the extent that whatever obstacles we may face, when we put our faith and our hope in Him and He directs our steps, listen to this, there is no thing and nobody and no circumstance that can stand in between what God has called us to do and seeing it through to victory. Do you agree with that this morning? Amen. All right, that's kind of weak, so I'm going to let you wake up a little bit as we go along. But there's nothing, no one, no thing, no circumstance that can stand in the way to what God has called us to do when we hear His voice, are empowered by His Spirit, and are willing to take steps of obedience in faith. That's what we want to talk about today. Now, we're working our way through the life of David. We're using uh, uh, his instances from his life as opportunities to explore the purpose, plan, and will of God for us so that we might both have and exhibit a real-life faith, a faith in the real world, not just a, a go-to-church-and-sing-a-song-and-go-home faith, not just a if it, if it works, it works, if it doesn't, it doesn't faith. We're looking to see principles and learn lessons and see examples of a faith that can carry us through every circumstance that we face. And so today we're looking at one of the most famous stories, of course, in all the Bible. But there is, there's more to the story than what we typically see portrayed. And so as we work our way through this morning, the story of David in 1 Samuel 17. I hope you'll take your Bible and turn there. 1 Samuel 17. As we work our way through looking at some principles that we can apply to our lives that will help us to exhibit and have that real-life faith, that faith for the real world. Uh, I, I want to, to, to just encourage you to listen, to consider, to not just breeze past the story because you know it so well, but to really listen for the details and ask God what would He have you to do in response to this message. Now, a little background on the message. It's, it's important that we, that we know what we're coming into. And so, so if a little background is from 1 Samuel chapter 16, just the, the chapter right before it. And in 1 Samuel 16, as Samuel is anointing David to serve as the next king in Israel, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 13, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. We cannot look at the story of David facing Goliath without recognizing that it comes on the heels after the fact of the Spirit of God coming upon David both in that time when Samuel anointed him and from that day forward so that when David goes to the scene of the battle and faces Goliath, he does so in the presence and power of the Spirit of God in his life. 
That's what we have to understand. That's what we have to know is coming into the story. So as we think about that this morning, would you bow your head and let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, today as we look at this very familiar story and this passage of Scripture, I ask and pray that we might recognize the power and glory of our God, the faith and willingness to follow that we see in David, the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, and the victory that comes, not when we just go out and try to live life on our own and do things for you, but the victory that comes from the leading of your Spirit, the power of your Spirit, and your purpose and your plan for us, that the world may know there is a God who saves, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you have your Bibles open to 1 Samuel 17. We're going to look at the whole chapter. There's like 60 verses there, so we're not going to stand and read and, and go through all of that, but we're going to walk our way through the majority of this chapter, and we're going to pull out 10 principles. 10 principles. I've got them uh, listed for you there in your listening guide. 10 principles or lessons that we can learn and apply as we work our way through this story of David and Goliath. The first lesson I want you to notice or that we can, that we can uh, comprehend is found in verses 1 through 7, and that is that we all face enemies. There's always enemies out there. And these enemies are not our enemies. They're God's enemies. If we're seeking to live the faithful life and we're seeking to live the, a, a believer's life, we're seeking to follow after God in our personal life, in our homes, in our job, in our morals, in our character, in our hobbies, in everything we're doing, we're seeking to follow God, we will encounter enemies. Isn't that good news today? That's an old me. We will encounter enemies. And in verses 1 to 7, what we see is the Philistines, these ongoing enemies of Israel that live down by the coast, the Philistines are invading or coming into the territory of Israel. Israel wasn't going against them. The Philistines were coming against Israel, and they were attacking. There was an ongoing war, ongoing skirmishes. And I want you to think with me about where the attacks come from, not just in the day of David, but in our day as well. Because again, we all face enemies, especially as we seek to live our lives for the Lord. Some of these attacks come from an invading army, but the attacks also come from people. People right around us, people around us in, in, in every area of our lives. And, and it might be people that, that offer a temptation for you. It might be people that, for whatever reason, will turn on you. It might be people that, that when they see your faith and they know that you're seeking to follow the Lord, they will walk away from you. And it could be that because you're seeking to live for the glory of God and they're not, there may be a persecution of you that is a part of how people interact. But attacks not only come from people, they also come from our circumstances. A spiritual attack can come in the form of a loss of a job. Uh, a spiritual attack can come from the standpoint of a, of a car breaking down and all of a sudden your whole schedule is thrown out the window. A, an attack could come from a circumstance of going to the doctor and the report is not what you wanted to hear. And a thousand other things that, that can be uh, an attack against us because we're simply seeking to follow after God. Sometimes there's a spiritual attack through our finances. Uh, I've heard it said before, sometimes there's just more month than there is money. You ever been there before? 
And so, uh, so that could be an attack of some kind. It could be a major expense that suddenly erupts out of nowhere this time of year if the air conditioning goes out. That's not a good thing uh, when the temperatures are rising. So, so our finances could be an attack. And again, lots of other things, but ultimately recognize this, that we face as believers and followers of Christ, we face spiritual attacks. Listen to the words of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. 1 Samuel 17 begins with these words. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Succoth and Azekah in Ephrath's Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain of the other side, with the valley between them. So we think about... Uh, 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 this, these two armies. There's a valley, there's mountains. On one side there are the Philistines, on the other side there are the Israelites. They are going to fight. And then we notice uh, that, that sometimes the enemy is impressive. Sometimes you have, to, you have to weigh out, who is this that I'm going to battle with? Who is this that's attacking me? And, and what am I going to do in response? And, and, and the enemy can be quite impressive. On one hand, they can be impressive by their reputation. And some people just have a, a, a strong reputation. And when they come against you, when this force comes against you, it can be not only impressive, it can be quite intimidating. In verse number 4, it says, There came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion. A champion. That's an impressive word, isn't it, to describe somebody, a, a champion? And so, so the champion comes out from the Philistines, and, and by champion, it's somebody who has been elevated to the, to the level of champion. What did they do? They fought some battles. They have risen through the ranks. They have done impressive things. And so, so when somebody's labeled a champion, you know this is not just some run-of-the-mill person. It's not just the, the average guy off the street. It's not just the average soldier. Somebody steps forward from the Philistines and is called a champion. That's something that is certainly quite impressive. And verse 4 tells us he was named Goliath of Gath. Perhaps... They had heard of Goliath before. Perhaps they had not. Before whatever, whatever their circumstances were in that moment, Goliath steps out, and he is impressive not only by his reputation, he's impressive also by his appearance. In verse 4, speaking of Goliath, it says, whose height was six cubits and a span. You might read that and say, well, okay, he was, he was a good-sized guy. I mean, I'm, I used to be six foot when I had hair. I used to be six foot tall. I'm not quite six foot tall anymore. He was six cubits. I'm six foot tall. That might be, you know, roughly a span might be. He might be six two, six three, six four. He might be a little taller than I might be. But if you round this off and look at what the measurements are back in the Old Testament, this means that this man, Goliath, stood between nine foot six inches tall and nine foot nine inches tall. He was a tall rascal. If you're watching the NBA Finals right now, the Golden State Warriors are down three games to one. They could use a man about nine foot six right now. 
And so Goliath stood nine, at least nine feet, six inches. If you read verses 5 to 7, you find out about his armor, his, his helmet, and, and the, the, the chains that he wore, and, then the, and, the, and the spear that he had. And then the tip of his spear, the, the metal tip of his spear, weighed about 17 pounds. You pick up 17 pounds, you see how far you can throw 17 pounds. Listen, it's not that far. And that's how big and heavy the tip of his spear is. He was quite an impressive person. And, and it reminds us that oftentimes the enemies that come against us by circumstance, by person, by doctor's report, whatever it may be, can be quite impressive and overwhelming just at the sight of it. And our, initially we say there's no way we can fight against this enemy. But notice secondly, verses 8 to 10, the challenge of our enemies often seems impossible. There's no way. Just the sight of the enemy can scare us away. And so there's no way. It's impossible. And in fact, the challenge was, as Goliath put it, for each side to send out just one person. There's no need for the thousands of people gathered there. There's no need for thousands of men to die. Let's just have two men come out, one from the Philistines, one from the Israelites, and there will be a fight. And if the, the, the Philistine kills the Israelite, the Philistines win. If the Israelite kills the Philistine, then the Israelites win. Let's let one of us, uh, one, uh, one per, each side send out one person, and we will battle and go from there. Now, if you read through that, you'll notice that Goliath focused his identity on being a Philistine. He came out from the Philistines. If you'll also notice that Goliath focused and he tried to, to identify Israel, not as the people of God, but he identified them as the people of Saul, the king. He identified them with the, their king, not with their God. And it reminds us that the, the enemy will do anything to keep you and I from understanding and operating in our true identity as followers of Christ. Let me say that again. The enemy will do anything to keep us from operating in our identity as followers of Jesus Christ. As long as we can be distracted from who we are and our identity in Christ, as long as we can be misidentified as, the, as followers of this church or of this pastor or a part of this connect group or this group or that, as long as we're connected or identified that way and not as being the people of God, then the enemy has an advantage over us because it keeps us from recognizing our true identity and our true source. Verse number 10 says this, The Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And he came out there every morning and every evening, and he shouted that challenge. Send me a man that we may fight. If I win, you serve us. If he wins, then we will serve you. Well, there's a third lesson we can learn, and I'm having to work through this a little too quickly for my taste. But let's recognize this. The right perspective puts things in the right perspective. When we have the right perspective in how we're viewing our situation, it puts us in the right perspective to recognize what exactly is going on. Because, you see, the challenge that we face often brings about a fear. When we see the challenge and the challenger and hear the challenge issued to us, we can tend to just quake in our boots. And so the challenge can evoke fear. It says in verse 11 that Saul and the army, it says they were dismayed and greatly afraid. 
That's a great characterization, isn't it? How would you like for that to be the, the story of the soldiers on, on D-Day? Were they afraid? Absolutely. But they went forward anyway, didn't they? And they won the battle. When, in this day, in, in this day of, of, of Saul, and this day of Goliath, and this day of, of David, and the day of the battle, the, the, the soldiers were sitting back on the side of Israel. And everyone from the king all the way down to the least of the least of the soldiers were afraid and dismayed. Let me give you a synopsis starting at verse number 12 down to verse 23. We are introduced here to David. David comes on the scene. He's the youngest of eight. His oldest three brothers have signed up with the army, and they're there in, 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 in ready to fight in the battle uh, against the Philistines. And David, who's the young, uh, the young boy, is sent by his dad, Jesse, down to the battle scene. He's there to do two things, to take some food for his brothers and... To, to, uh, to check on his brothers and bring back word to his dad how his brothers were doing. But on David's arrival there at, at the scene, Goliath comes out and he gives his threat that he had been doing for 40 days. Send somebody out to fight me and the winner will take all. And so David, it says in verse 23, David heard him. David heard him. It might seem very insignificant, but at that moment in the story, it is very significant. David heard him. Look at verse 24 with me. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. This, this challenger, this Goliath, they saw, have you seen this guy, David? He is tall. He is strong. He has issued this challenge. He's come to defy the nation of Israel. And it reminds us that perspective dictates how we respond. The perspective of these soldiers was this. Who are we to go up against someone so big and so strong and so able? That was their perspective. They were not looking at God. They were looking at their circumstance. And that's the same danger that you and I face as, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. When we look at our circumstances, they can seem to be overwhelming to where we don't even want to go out and fight or make the effort. But when we focus on God, it's amazing what can happen. Notice the perspective of David in verse number 26. Who is this guy? Who is this Philistine? Who does this guy think he is? This tall guy with the strong uh, arms and the heavy spirit. Who does he think he is that dares to defy the living God? He keeps his eyes not on the opponent, but on who God is. And that makes all the difference in the world. So when you and I are facing challenges from our enemies, when we're facing the, 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 the attacks from our circumstances or from the doctor's report or from the, the, those that would turn against us for any number of reasons because of our faith, when, when we're attacked by them, we should not focus on the appearance of the enemy but on the attributes of God. And that makes all the difference in the world in this story. Well, let's look at a fourth lesson we can learn also. And that is that when we're strong, that strong faith is often met with ridicule. Do you know that? If you dare, if you dare in your home, in your business, in your friend circle, if you dare to live out your faith, I'm not talking about going to church and telling people that you go to church. I mean, if you really look to apply your faith, it's amazing where ridicule will come from. It might come from the enemy, 
certainly David, uh, certainly Goliath was ridiculing the people of God every morning, every evening. And we expect ridicule to come from our enemies. But we also notice in this story that ridicule can come from within the own family. Verses 28 to 30 says this. Now Eliab, this is the oldest brother of David. Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and this is when David speaks, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Eliab didn't seem to be very angry about the giant. Eliab wasn't volunteering to go out and fight the giant. But when his scrawny little brother comes up, that's who he gets mad at. His anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down here? And with whom have you left those few little sheep out in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. You're just nosy. You're just coming down here to see what's going on. And David said, what have I done now? That's the, the classic response of little brothers everywhere, isn't it? What have I done now? Was it not but a word? I'm just asking around. I'm just here to, to, to do what Dad had sent me here to do. So, 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 so we see the response here of being met with ridicule. Sometimes it's our family. Sometimes it's even in the church. On more than one occasion, I've heard, now not here at Ridgecrest, of course, but on more than one occasion, I've heard of people who are involved in their church, and somebody in the church has told them, listen, you don't, don't take this being a Christian too seriously. Don't let it impact every area of your life. You've got to put it in perspective. You can't be taking steps of faith. That's not, that's not what we do. We simply recognize who God is. Well, notice a fifth lesson we can learn. Verses 31 to 36, and that is that desperation considers any option to address the challenge. Let's think about that a second. When we get desperate, we'll try to address the challenge that is facing us any way we possibly can. Now think about Saul, the king. He was tired. He was afraid. He was dismayed. He didn't know what he was going to do. He's got his army facing the Philistines. Every morning, every evening, Goliath is coming out and issuing his challenge, and Saul doesn't know what to do. Is there, is there anybody who is willing to step forward? I can imagine the first day or two when Goliath comes out, Saul says, okay, let's gather around everybody, get the generals here and the captains here, and let, let's get our heads together, and let's think, who is the best of the best that can go out and fight Goliath? And they may have said, Eliab, the son of Jesse. So they call Eliab in. They say, Eliab, we want you to be the one to go out and fight the giant. And Eliab said, ain't no way. <laughs> All right, it's not Eliab. So they call in this one. They call in that one. They call in this one. They call in that one. You're the one. You're the one. You go out. You go fight. Not me. Take him. Not me. Take that one. Not me. My legs hurt. You know, any number of different excuses. But one by one, the best of the best refused to go. And Saul is getting desperate. And when things get desperate, you're willing to take more desperate measures. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke, because David is saying, who does this guy think he is, this Philistine? Who does this Goliath think he is? He's challenging the living God. And so when Saul heard about that, he, he sent for David. He said, have we found somebody that's willing to go out and fight the giant? And notice three things about David. Remember, 1 Samuel 16, 13, David was filled with the Spirit of God. 
the starting point of this story, the background of this story, is that before David ever got to the battle, he was filled with the Spirit of God. And when you and I will begin from the standpoint of being filled with the Spirit of God, then the battle, doesn't matter what the battle is, we're already on the winning side. So he's filled with the Spirit. Notice, secondly, he was focused on the living God. His focus was not on the giant. There's a lot of things to admire about the giant. There's a, a lot of things to, to, to recognize about him because he was a champion. He was tall. He was strong. He was impressive. He was bold. He had this spear that weighed 17 pounds. He was quite formidable, but he is nothing compared to God. So David was focused not on the giant. He was focused on the living God. And notice also that David was fighting mad. He was so mad and upset that not that Goliath was challenging the Israelites, but that Goliath was challenging God. Who does this guy think he is? Challenging the living God. Look at verse 32 through 36 with me. Here's what, what it says. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. This is Goliath. Your servant, I will go. I'll fight this Philistine. You need somebody to go? I'll go. Who does this guy think he is? And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth. You're just a, you're just a scrawny kid. And he, Goliath, has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And if that lion or that bear rose up against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. I might look scrawny, but I can take care of the lion, and I can take care of the bear. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And notice how David is saying this here. He's not saying Goliath has defied the armies of Israel. He's not saying that, the, that Goliath has defied the armies of Saul. Remember, Goliath was tying the army to Saul, the king who was afraid. Your king's afraid. How are you going to fight against me? David ties Goliath's insults not to the army or to the king, but he ties them to God. He has defied the armies of the living God. And so that's very important. David reveals here his qualifications and his perspective. And we notice uh, our lesson number six, the right perspective leads to the right focus. When I get my perspective right, then my focus gets, uh, gets right. I get clarity. I get a laser-like focus. I know what has to be done. I know what my role is. And so, so I'm ready to go. So, so notice a couple of things here. One is don't focus on the strength of the enemy. Don't do that. Don't focus. When you and I have issues that come against us, challenges that come against us, enemies that come against us because of our faith, when those things come, and they will and they do, don't focus on the strength of the enemy. Think about David and Goliath. There was a great difference in their physical size. There was a great difference, evidently, in their age. David was but a, a young teenager. Goliath was a man of war who had been trained uh, in war from his years as a teenager. There was a difference of experience. 
Uh, as far as we know, David had not been to war with people before, and Goliath perhaps has been to war many times. There's a difference in expertise. There's a difference in reputation. In Goliath's reputation, he was a champion. David's reputation was a shepherd. So there's a difference here that could lead, uh, that could lead one to not go forward. It could lead us to not pursue because the enemy is so much more capable than we are. But you know how relevant these things are to God? Not at all. These things are irrelevant to God. The size of the enemy, the experience of the enemy, all of that is irrelevant. Why? Because it's not about the enemy. It's about God. It's about our circumstances with God. Saul the king was dismayed and he was afraid and there was no expression of faith from Saul. Saul didn't, there's no record that Saul went out in front of his army and said, all right guys, we're going to trust God in this circumstance. There's no evidence of that. He was afraid. So don't focus on the strength of the enemy, but do focus on the power of the Lord. Focus on the Lord. Take your eyes off of what's in front of you and turn them up and focus on the Lord. Let me give you three qualities of God, three attributes of God that you can take to the bank in every circumstance. The first is God is omniscient. Omniscient. You know what that means? He is all-knowing. God knows everything. There's nothing out there to be known that God does not know. God knows things that you know, and God knows things that I know, and God knows things that they know, and God knows things that none of us know. He's omniscient. Secondly, God is omnipresent. There is no place that God is not. The psalmist wrote, if I go to the top of the mountain, Lord, you're there. If I go to the depths of the sea, Lord, you're there. If I go to the very very depths of the womb of the mother, God, you are there, knitting together life itself. God, I can go to the east, I can go to the west, I can run, I can try to hide. There's nowhere I can go that God is not. Isn't that encouraging? He is omniscient, he is omnipresent, and then thirdly, he is omnipotent. And that means he is all-powerful. We may see impressive displays of power athletically, militarily, governmentally, financially. You can see displays of power in wonderful and magnificent and even awesome ways. And all of it rolled up together is nothing compared to the power of God. And we need to keep that perspective in mind. So keep our focus on God. I shared this with you last week. I love it. One of my favorite songs. I'll share it with you again. One of my favorite groups, Big Tent Revival. Their song, Jesus is Your Friend. Here's some of the lyrics. Take the biggest thing that's got you down. In this case, it's Goliath. And stand it up right next to God. Anyone can see who's bigger now. It don't take no astronaut. So don't be scared or afraid. Because Jesus is your friend, and he is with you in every circumstance. Verse 37, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, All right, go. And for the first time, we see at least an expression of faith in Saul. He said this, And the Lord be with you. He's thinking, I'm going to send this kid out to slaughter, and then we're going to be servants of the Philistines. But that's all I got. Desperation leads us to take steps that we wouldn't ordinarily take. But David had the right perspective. Notice number seven. 
the lesson we learned. The battle, the spiritual battle, demands a spiritual weapon. A spiritual battle demands that we use a spiritual weapon. Physical armor is just inadequate for a spiritual battle. If you look in verses 38 to 40, you'll notice that Saul gives David his armor, and the armor of Saul is too big for David. Saul can't even compare to Goliath, and now Saul's armor is too big for David. And so, so, so David takes it off because he's not used to it. It doesn't fit him. It won't serve him well. David sets that armor off. The physical armor just won't work in this spiritual battle. But also notice in verse 40, spiritual weapons can look inadequate for the battle. Whatever it is that God gives us physically to go into battle for him because he's, uh, he's called us to go and represent him, those things can look very inadequate. Here's, here's Goliath with a helmet of brass and then and the shield and the, and the javelin and the spear, all these things. And here's David. It says he took his staff in his hand, his stick, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook or the stream and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. I'll make a quick point here. That is that every experience is preparation. David knew because he had fought the lion and the bear. David knew because of what he, what he was experienced in doing. He couldn't handle the sword and the shield of, of Saul, but he could handle the sling and the stick that he used every single day with the sheep. I want to show you a picture of a famous statue. You'll see it there on the screen. And uh, uh, it's the statue of David, sculpted by Michelangelo. The fig leaf is added by me, <laughs> just so you know. The statue is 14 feet tall. It was sculpted in 1501, and it's been called the world's greatest sculpture. Traditionally, before this time, uh, go, go back to the, the first slide, if you would, the, the one before. Tradi no, the, the very first one there, with, yeah, right there. So, so traditionally... Sculptures and paintings of David had only been after he had defeated Goliath. But for the first time, Michelangelo depicts David before the battle. And there's some very significant things about this. The next slide is going to show the head, just a close-up of the head of the sculpture. And you'll notice that David here in the sculpture, he's tense. He has high concentration. He is relaxed, but he is alert. He transmits an exceptional self-confidence and concentration. And notice his eyes. His eyes are focused like laser beams on the enemy. And this description comes from the historians uh, that write about the statue. Notice also the next picture is a picture of the slingshot that David had. It's almost invisible because the slingshot demonstrates in the statue that David wins the battle not by any great outward weapons that he has, Almost invisibly, he wins it by faith. In the left hand, he's holding the pouch. In that pouch is the rock. And if you look at the back side of the statue, which I'd have to put another fig leaf on, so I didn't show you that side, but across the back of the statue, it, it runs down so that his right hand has the other end of the sling in it. So he's holding the sling here. He's got the rock in the pouch. He's got his right hand holding the sling. And at just the right time, he'll release the sling, and he'll start swinging it around his head so he can throw it at Goliath. But the focus of the weapon of David is not the sling, it's the faith that he had in God. You notice also the picture here on the screen. We'll go back one. You'll notice the picture of the hands. The right hand especially is a hand that has pulsing veins on the back of the hand, showing the determination, showing the, the tension that's there, showing his engagement in there, uh, in that. And so, so he is tense and ready for the battle.
And then the last picture here is, this, is the same one again of the whole statue. The head and the right hand, you may or may not can tell it in the picture, but the head and the right hand are larger than the, 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 the dimensions of what a body would be for two reasons. One is for the head to show the concentration that David is giving, and the right hand shows his alertness and his anticipation. One of my favorite groups called Casting Crowns has written a song about this. It's called The Voice of Truth, and here's what it says. Oh, what I would do to have the kind of strength it takes to stand before a giant with just a sling and a stone, surrounding by the sound of a thousand warriors shaking in their armor wishing they had enough strength to stand. But the giant's calling out my name and he laughs at me, reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed. The giant keeps on telling me time and time again, you'll never win. You'll never win. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth says, do not be afraid. The voice of truth says, this is for my glory. Well, we need to move on all too quickly. Lesson number eight. We have to recognize the real participants in the battle. And I want you to scoot down to verses 45 and 46. The, and and the, the real participants are not David and Goliath, but, but, it, but evil against God. And down in verses 46 uh, and 47, uh, we see the purpose of the victory. God gives victory to David using the sling and the stone to bring down the giant Goliath. We know the story. But the purpose of the victory, notice in verse 46, that all the earth, this is David speaking to Goliath, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Why is it that God gives us these victories, these insurmountable victories? Why is it that these circumstances are often set up where we're facing enemies that are bigger than us so that God can deliver us? He does that time and time again in your circumstances and mine so that there might be a testimony to His greatness, His goodness, and His glory. That's why God does what he does, so that the world may know that there's a God in Israel. And notice also in verse 47, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves. The Lord saves, not with the sword, not with the spear, not with the outer weapons, not because we're bigger, not because we're stronger, because then it would be because of us. No, the Lord saves because we are insufficient. We are unable on our own. He saves to demonstrate who He is and His glory. Well, David throws the stone and the giant comes down and he dies. David goes over and kills him with the sword of Goliath, and he cuts off his head. You know the story from there. The ninth lesson we learn is this. When the battle is the Lord's, the victory is sure. When the battle is the Lord's, the victory is sure. David sank the stone in his forehead, and the giant came down because we, he trusted the Lord, and we can do the same. And then lastly, victor, victorious action is contagious. When we... Allow God to use us, and God uses us to defeat the enemies of God. It's contagious. It's just contagious. Verse 52, the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines. These guys that were dismayed and afraid suddenly found new courage because David had killed the giant. So they rose up, they shouted the battle cry, and they pursued the Philistines. In verse 20, they shouted a war cry, but in verse 24, they were afraid. Verse 52, they shouted it again. In verse 53, the people of Israel plundered the camp of the Philistines. 
Why do they do that? Because they're suddenly recognized that they were on the winning side, which they were all along if they had just trusted in the Lord. I've had to rush through this last part. I wish I had another 45 minutes. Is that okay, Ann, if I take another 45 minutes? It'd be all right, but I've got to get to the next service, so we'll, uh, we'll go over there. But let me leave you with a couple of things. There are battles that we face that seem insurmountable. And they come in all shapes and sizes. And if we'll keep our attention focused on the battle and the enemy and the attacks, then we're defeated already, quaking in our boots. If we'll focus on the Lord, He will carry us through, not for our benefit, but for His glory. He will deliver us so that the world may know there's a God in heaven who saves not with swords and spears and good works and church attendance and being religious. No, he saves through faith. The faith that David exhibited is the faith that you and I are called to exhibit. And I wonder today, what giants are you facing? What obstacles are standing in your way from doing and being who God has called you to be? And I wonder what step of faith God might take and use in your life so that victory could come and you might be encouraged and others might be inspired. It's possible, and it's true. If not us, then who? If not now, then when? I say right now. I say us. Let's trust God. Would you stand together with me? I'm going to pray. Bill's going to lead us. We're going to sing a great song. Take my life and let it be. Lord, consecrate it to you, to thee. Oh, Lord, take everything about me and use it for your glory. If somehow, in some way, God has spoken to your heart today, I would encourage you to do business with him. Right where you are, there in the pews, to perhaps come and kneel at the altar area. I'll be available as we sing if you want somebody to talk with you and pray with you. And as our service concludes, some of our deacons and other leaders, guys, y'all just, ladies, y'all just hang around and be available if someone would like to talk or to pray. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are bigger than anything, and you're bigger than everything. And for anything that would come against us, Lord, it's not our enemy, it's yours. And you are the one who fights the battle. You are the one that goes before. You are the one that equips and enables us. You're the one that calls us simply to believe and to act. And right now I pray and call upon everyone here to believe you and act in obedience to believe that you are God, to act by trusting Christ, to act by living in faith, to act by being obedient to your word and taking every circumstance and giving it over to you. Thank you for this great example and this great instruction. And we pray now you'd use it for your glory in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our community, and in our world that everyone may know that the world may know there's a God in heaven who saves by faith. And for that, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.